sound good, don't they? Amen and amen. As we come to God's word, I first wanted to make one more announcement that uh, was written in your bulletin, but I wanted to touch on it. Um, there is a congregational meeting two weeks from today, a two-part congregational meeting, and the reason is that as uh, the leadership and the session have been praying together and doing some strategic planning, that uh, they have come to the place of believing that it may be the time that God is saying uh, that we should consider selling out here and moving out to our new property. If you're visiting with us this morning, the Lord has given us 20 uh, beautiful, flat, buildable acres in the middle of a growing community on the uh, Hickson Pike North, um, just probably eight or ten minutes from here. It's not far away, but uh, we've been landlocked on the top of this hill, and out there, there is there's a lot of room to uh, to dream about how God would use the life of the church. So, we are curious what the congregation thinks. We would just like the opportunity to propose it to you, to tell us what we're thinking and why we're thinking it, and then we'd like to talk to you about it. And so, on May the 4th in the morning, we're going to propose lay out the proposal in a congregational meeting after worship. In the evening, we're going to meet out at the church property and uh, have a bring-your-own dinner. You're on for dinner. Uh, We'll put some tables up. You can bring some blankets and that kind of thing. But we'll have a picnic dinner out there and then a time for question and answer and conversation. Uh, We'd like to talk to you and to see and explore together whether this may be what God is doing with us. Um, So couple of weeks from now, we will talk. This morning, we come to God's Word on this Resurrection Sunday, and as I was looking at, I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's some selected verses, and as I've been thinking about this, and some of what God has laid on my heart is, is somewhat autobiographical, as I want to take you to where I was as a teenager, and uh, some of the things that Paul is saying in this text about where I was, and some other things I had studied, uh, and, and how, how Jesus changes all of that uh, and what Jesus does when he rises from the dead and he can raise us with him. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, these selected verses lifted, listed. I'm going to start in 1 to 4. Hear then God's word. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I preached it to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you've believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Verse 12. He said, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if uh, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised 
from the dead. And he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 32, he says, What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts in Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come to your word this morning because we know that it's true. And we long not just to gather information here off of this page. We long for you to speak to our hearts the truth about a risen Christ. And let the light of that truth flood our lives with meaning and purpose and power. Come near, Lord Jesus. And speak to us this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I, was, uh, I did not grow up in the church. Many of you know my testimony, I, I, I didn't grow up I, I, uh, going to church. I grew up nominally. I would go to Christmas sometimes on Easter and Christmas, uh, as, as some are wont to do. And, but going on Christmas and Easter, I really did not understand them. And I really did not have a relationship and a true knowledge of a risen Christ. It was a, it was a service like this, and I went home, and it meant very little to me. In fact, by the time I was late in my teen years, I was... Um, I was pretty confused and lost, and I don't know that I would say depressed, but I, I, was, I was wrestling with the meaning of life. My friends were applying to college. I'm looking at life here as a teenager. I didn't know what I was supposed to do with my life, and it all seemed pretty meaningless to me. Got to go to college if you want to do this, if you want to do that, if you want to, and then you got to, you're going to raise it, and this is where it goes, and then you die. And I couldn't figure out at that point, looking at my life, the point. I came to Christ at the age of 18, and within months I went away to college. That's another story all in itself. But while I was in college, I studied philosophy, uh, which a lot of folks in a secular school, that's a dangerous thing to do. But in God's providence, he used it in my life to, to solidify and to make me more confident than ever that what I had believed when I put my faith in Christ was true. And I studied a lot of different things. And one of my favorites was a group of, of guys who, I think I liked them because they articulated all the stuff I was feeling as a late teenager, wrestling with the, the meaninglessness of, of the life that lay before me and trying to figure it out. It's a group called Existentialists for what it's worth. They're a group that for the most part didn't believe in God. And so they, what I like about them, though, was their honesty because it's where I was. They, they said, if there is no God, let's, let's contemplate life honestly. What does that mean about everything, about my work, about family, about college, about everything, if there is no God? And what I liked about these guys is that they, they took an honest look. They looked at life, and they said, if the world was not created, and it just happened, and people, human existence was not purposed but an accident of nature. They said, if the world just happened, and human existence is an accident, then life has no meaning. There's no external thing out there to give meaning to it. We just happen to show up. You know, we just happen to be, we just are. But the weird thing about it and what they articulated so well was the same thing that I was feeling as a teenager. They said, this is crazy because human beings crave meaning. We crave purpose. We, we want 
love to mean something more than a chemical reaction in the body. You know, we want justice to, to mean something and not be some human construct. It's some uh, external idea to which there is solidity to. That there is love, there is justice, there's something called goodness and evil. They said humans crave these things, and they knew that. They were, they were human beings, and that's why I love these guys, because they said they have all these same cravings for meaning and for love and for purpose and all of this stuff. And he says, but you know what? The universe is silent. It's cold and dark and empty, and it has nothing to say. It has nothing to say, nothing to offer. All of our longings and all of our desires find no answer out there. And they actually, what they said, they, they, they said this weird congruence of the desires of the human heart and this cold, empty, silent universe said it's absurd. And that's where some of these guys go, and I really in, in enjoyed reading some of them. They, they came up they, with, uh, they say that it creates an angst or an anxiety, a dread about life because there's this weird dynamic and, and yet it's meaningless. You know, I think it's Albert Camus who, who used the word absurd. It's absurd for us to be the way we are and the universe to be the way it is and it doesn't make any sense and it's meaningless. I think it was Sartre who used the word nausea. I think he has a book called Nausea. For him, it was, that's the feeling that you get. There's this angst, or there's this absurdity, or there's this nausea. There's this, something isn't right about the whole thing. What do we do in a world where death is the final reality? And with death, there is extinction. What do we do in a world where death is the ultimate reality? Well, that's where as I'm reading the text and I'm thinking about the sermon today and in my own experience, I feel like verse 32 where Paul, I think, is quoting something that was being said at the day. And I said, here are the first existentialists. But if you follow them back, you just read the book of Ecclesiastes. They're the first existentialists. And you read back. And it goes thousands of years back. People contemplating the universe from two perspectives. If there is no God, what are we doing? If death is the ultimate reality, what does it all mean? Or if there is a God, what does that do to everything? And so Paul, as he quotes the people in his own day, he says, if the dead are not raised, if death wins, if death is the ultimate reality, he says, let us eat and let us drink because tomorrow we die. And that's it. Grab what you can while you can. And the existentialists heavily actually expanded that out. Wherever it said eat and drink, they said fill in the blank. You know, they said if you like jumping out of airplanes and that's what gets you off, you know, then let us jump out of airplanes for tomorrow we die. You know, if you like rock climbing, he says let us rock climb for tomorrow we die. If you like driving fast cars, you know, put whatever it is, it makes your boat float until the final reality hits. Just make the most of it because there's nothing after that. It's cold, dark, and silent out there. You know, make the most of it. Eat and drink. Because in the end, there's only death. The world itself will someday burn out. Our sun will last a long time, but not forever. And they say someday the whole thing will just end. Like it never existed. This is, at some level, it's hard to believe. I was 17 years old. I'm having these similar thoughts. I'm wrestling with 
Why am I alive? So what? What difference does it make what I do, whether I go to college or not, whether I get married or not, other than I want to get enough to make the most of this mess? Paul says in verse 12, as he's dealing with the similar, let's say, similar group now, if Christ is proclaimed as If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Right in verse 13, he says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If there's no resurrection, not even Christ has been raised. No one is going to be raised. That's it, folks. And so Paul does a similar thing to the existentialist as he traces out the implications. And this is I think that there needs to be honesty. Sometimes I meet with folks who will make the, you know, I don't believe in God or I don't believe in this. And then I'm like, you guys, you have to follow that through. <laughs> you got to think that through. What does that mean? And Paul does a similar thing. He says, well, if the Christ, you know, if you say there's no resurrection, Christ has not even been raised. So no one is going to be raised. And he starts tracing out the implications. What does this mean for us? Right? In verse 14, he says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Right? It's pointless. Vain. Empty. There's no point in it. Verse 15, he says, you're actually, we're misrepresenting God. We're saying he raised someone from the dead, but he didn't. We're saying there's a resurrection, there is a God, and he raises, and there isn't. If there's no resurrection, there's nothing to preach. There is no good news. Got nothing for you. Eat, drink. That's the only message we got left, right? Eat, drink. For tomorrow we die. That's the only gospel that we have. Paul says there's no hope to offer. In verse 17, he goes on to say, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. You're still in your sins. Why? Because a dead Christ cannot save anyone. Christ has been defeated. Death is won. If there, if there is a God, you're liable to judgment. If there isn't a God, then there is no judgment. So who cares? In either case, it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter if you spend your life as a serial killer, causing untold pain and misery, or whether you spend your life as a, in the Peace Corps, alleviating pain and misery. Because when life is over, the destiny is the same either way. See, the Ecclesiastes, I told you they were the originals. It's there in your bulletin under the first point. The teacher cries out. He said, then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool is going to happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? Why then have I lived a good life? Why then have I tried to do good and not evil? Why then have have I taken this path and not that path? I said in my heart, all of this is vanity. For the wise as for the fool, there's no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. Their destiny is the same. This is vanity. This is a striving after the wind. This is meaningless. This does not make sense. And I hope that you start to feel that. It doesn't make sense to the human soul that it's all the same and that it doesn't matter. That if we all share the same fate, whether we're foolish or wise or good or bad, that it doesn't matter. Verse 19, he goes on and he says, if, Christ, if, in, if, if in Christ we have hope in this world only, we are to be pitied. 
above all. We who have gathered here this morning, he says, above all are to be pitied. If there's, no, if there's nothing beyond this life, and it's only in this life that we, that we have hope in Christ, he says we're to be pitied most of all. Why? Because we spend our lives doing stuff like this. And we should have been living it up and sleeping in and making the most of it and, and grabbing what we could while we could. And we spend our lives doing stuff like this. We live our life for values that don't exist. Righteousness, goodness, justice, love. Human constructs in a cold and empty universe. Christians are to be the most pitied, he says. But the truth is, and I felt it as a teenager, wrestling with, with the so what. It's not just Christians. Christians may be the most pitiful, but we're all pitiful. Because there is no hope. Because there's nothing out there. And we just are. Life is hard and then you die. We spend our lives working and struggling and doing all that we do. And in the end, my friends, it doesn't matter. No one is going to remember. It will be as it never existed. Macbeth says it, well, Shakespeare says it and puts it in through Macbeth. It's there in your bulletin under the first point. He says, life's but a walking shadow. It has no substance. It's not real. It's a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage. Life is short. And then he's heard no more. It doesn't go anywhere. He says it's a tale told by an idiot. It's full of sound and fury, right? Our lives are full of so much drama. You know, like it matters. Like it, you know, like it's going somewhere. It's full of sound and fury, but he says, but it signifies nothing. It means nothing. What if death wins? dragged you down into the pit of despair this morning. Because I believe, I mean, this was my, I believe if, it, if this is, in a sense, my journey, there, there must be others out there on this journey wrestling with what is the point of it all? Is, there, is, is this it? Is this what life is, is about? What if death wins? What if there is no resurrection? Because, friends, you cannot understand what the resurrection means until you have contemplated the universe without it. Honestly and fully come face to face, you know, stared death in the face, felt the angst, right? Felt the absurdity of it all and experienced it and, and wrestled with the so what. But now let's climb out of the pit of despair and trace the meaning of the resurrection. I came to the place in my life that said, no, <laughs> that does not make sense. You know, they're willing to say that the, all of these human cravings and all the ways that we're wired and all the things that we desire have no answer. But I say that's foolish. We are what we are and the way we are because there is an answer. The world was made with meaning and purpose and direction and, and we can trace the meaning of that today. Today is Easter. Today is Resurrection Sunday. It's the celebration of a man who did walk forth out of the tomb, who said death does not win, right? Who rises not to this life, but to another life, to an eternal life. That we were created not only for this life, but for something more and something greater and something richer and something fuller. What if, what if this short life is not all there is? What if death does not win? What if death? What if death dies someday? 
today is really, as I'm thinking about it and in, in my own thoughts and in, in where I came from to now, today is really a rebellion against hopelessness. Right? Isn't that what Easter is? We stand and sing these songs and proclaim these things. We rebel against hopelessness. Right? We, dis- we rebel against despair. We, de- we rebel against meaninglessness. We rebel against skepticism and pessimism. We rebel against the cult of death. Who lives like there's no tomorrow. Easter is a defiant cry. Right? In verse 55, Paul says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Jesus Christ is risen and he lives. And because he lives, we too can and will live with him. That's what he says in verse 20. In fact, despite as he wrestles with these people, he says, in fact, the fact is, Christ has been raised. Christ is risen. There is a God in heaven. Christ is his son. And he has entered death and he has conquered sin, death, and hell for all of those who will know him and love him. And he says at the final resurrection, look at verse 26. We didn't read it, but he says, verse 26, the last enemy will be destroyed. That last enemy is death. Or in verse 54, he goes on and he says, death is swallowed up in victory. Right? Easter is the proclamation of life. Easter is the proclamation that there is good news. Easter is the proclamation that everything has meaning. Everything is invested with meaning. Verses 1 to 4, he lays out what the church over thousands of years called the gospel. He says, I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel. That is the good news. There is good news. As we look at and stare death in the face and we deal with this issue, he says, my friends, there is good news. The gospel which I preached to you, which you received and which you stand on, which is a rock under your feet in the shifting sands of this world of hopelessness, he says, I've preached it to you and you stand on it and by which you are being saved. Saved from despair. Saved from wasting our lives. He says, what I delivered to you in verse 3 is of first importance is this. I received it. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture that he was buried into death, but death could not hold him. And on the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. God's own son lived and died. He rose from the dead for all of those who will put his trust, put our trust in him. He died to save us from sin. He rose to deliver us from death and judgment. Easter is not just a holiday. It's a worldview claim. It's a claim about the entire nature of reality. It's a claim about history. It's a claim about the nature of the universe we live in. It says there is a God in heaven. It's a challenge to verse 32, to let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die, to live as if there's no tomorrow. It's a challenge to atheism, and it's a challenge to the pessimism that comes with it. Easter is a proclamation that everything matters. So let's trace it out a little bit. If resurrection and not death is the ultimate reality, then all of life must be understood in its light. And I hope that we see that. If what we are singing about today, if what we are proclaiming today is true, 
that a man conquered death. The Son of God lived and died on our behalf and he has made a way through the tomb to the other side and he has risen into life. If that is true, and if he says not only that, but he, but, but he has made a way that we can follow with him and that there is a life after this one that is, that is richer and more glorious and more, in a sense, real than this life. We see that the light of that reality, if that's true, then every step of your life from this moment till that day takes on a new meaning. The light of that day sheds its light across all of our lives. Everything you do, your work, your play, your marriage, your relationships, everything is touched by the fact that one day you will be called forth from the tomb and you'll stand in the presence of a living God and a risen Christ. One day we will be called forth. If that's true, then the resurrection puts this life into perspective, doesn't it? It puts this life into perspective because let's face it, this life is full of, it's full of good things, but it's also full of a lot of struggle. It's full of a lot of suffering. Our congregation here, we're a mid-sized congregation compared to some of the, you know, but there are enough people here that it's almost shocking at the amount of struggle and suffering that goes on in any group of people. And as we get older, and as this life wears out, and we say that the outer man is wasting away, the inner man is being renewed day by day, but the outer man is wasting away. And, and resurrection puts life into perspective. Right? My hope is not in this life. I know this life is short. It's like a vapor waiting to pass. It's like grass that springs up in the morning and by evening it's gone. Or in Chattanooga it springs up in May and by July it's brown. Second Corinthians 4.17, it's in your bulletin. Under the last point he says, This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The light and momentary affliction, right, as he speaks of this life. And I don't think Paul wants to make light of the suffering that we experience here because it is real and it is deep. What he is, what he is saying is in comparison. You know, it's like childbirth. You know, woe to the man who belittles the pain that a woman goes through in, in that experience of bringing forth a child. But even the, even the mother will say, as, they, as, you, as we do today in our 24-year-old comes home for Easter morning, that it was a light and momentary affliction compared to the lifetime of joy and relationship that we have with our children. And he is saying in this life, it, 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 it is what it is, but comparatively, the day is coming that you will look back. You will say it was light and momentary compared to the weight of the glory of the life that God has for those who know Him and love Him. Life is short, but eternity is long, and this life is preparing us, he says, for the life that is to come. Resurrection puts life into perspective. Resurrection also breathes moral accountability into life. You know, I worked with college students before I was a pastor here. I was a college pastor, a campus minister, and I worked full-time with college kids for uh, seven years on three campuses in the state of Virginia. And I would have conversations with these college kids who, who really, you know, they think, you know, all of our kids, they think they know everything, but they really haven't touched life yet. And they stand there telling you things like, there's no such thing as good and evil. 
Those are all constructs and things. You know, you get out to the secular academy where there is no God, and, and they say, you know, if there is no God, how can you say what is right and wrong? How can you say there's good and evil? You know, and how can you say, and we would have these conversations, and they would carry it on to his logical conclusions. I'm like, are you guys serious? Because my soul rebels at the idea that, that that could possibly be true. You know, my soul says, no, the resurrection breathes moral accountability into our lives. It says that what we do matters. One day, 2 Corinthians 5.10, there in your bulletin, he says, one day we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due. For what has been done while we were in the body, in this life, whether good or evil, good or evil, my soul says, yes, there's good and there's evil. And I can taste it. You don't even have to define it for me. I'll know when that's done, that's evil. And it ought not to be done. And it is not a construct. Um, it is the moral fabric of the universe in which we live. Good and evil are real things. And resurrection means that what we do while we are in the body matters. Because someday we will receive what is due. Someday we will stand. You know, see, if we don't see that day coming, we will really get life wrong. We will do it wrong. We need to know that it matters. So resurrection puts life into perspective, and it, it breathes moral accountability back into life. It makes sense of life. Resurrection also saves us then from wasting our lives, doesn't it? At least it did for me. Because I was on the verge of wasting my life. The things that I was giving myself to and believing in in my lostness. And it's very easy to go down the wrong path, to live our lives in vain, to live our lives for all the wrong things, to live our lives for ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5.15 is there in your bulletin. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, which is what we all do, but for him, right? Him who for their sake died and was raised. The risen Christ commands our attention. The risen Christ stands both behind us in front of an empty tomb. He is risen and he also stands before us on the throne awaiting. The risen Christ begins our history and calls our attention to himself. And he gives purpose and direction and meaning to our living. There is goodness and righteousness. There is a God in heaven who is in our lives are to be conformed to and to follow and to know and to love the God who made us. And I'll tell you, this was a thing that my life literally was risen from the dead the day that I understood that Christ was alive, that Christ was Lord, and that he wanted me to stop living for myself and to start living for him, the one who saves me by his death and his resurrection. So the Colossians 3 in your bulletin, he says, whatever you do, my friends, work heartily. Right? What do you what do? You do? What is your job? What do, what do you do in your free time? What do, you, what do you do in every moment of your day? He says, whatever it is that you're doing, it's full of meaning and purpose. Why? He says, because work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. There is a God in heaven to whom... You have with whom you have to do, to whom you will stand before and look him in the face. He says, knowing that from the Lord you're going to receive your inheritance and your reward. Understand this, my friends, you're serving not yourselves, 
you serve Christ. That changes the way I do everything. It changes the way I do my job. It changes the way I'm married. It changes the way I, I think about loving my wife. It changes the way I think about the way I do my taxes. It changes the way that I think about my responsibility and accountability in all things. That whatever I do, I'm to do it as heartily as under the God who made me and with whom I have to do. Our faith is not futile. Look at verse 58, the last verse in this section of the, the passage. He says, therefore, my beloved friends, the summary of all of this as we explore the resurrection, he says, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable in your faith that this is all true, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that you're in, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. I needed to know that desperately. I needed to know that it meant something. I needed to know that there was a purpose to get up every day. Something to live for. To pour out our lives in abundant God-honoring work. Our faith is not futile. Our work is not in vain. And whatever you do, he says, you are serving the Lord Christ, a risen Savior. For the resurrection gives perspective to life. It breathes moral accountability into life. It keeps us from wasting our lives. But not only that, he actually gives us the power to live the life that he's calling us to live. He gives us the power of a new life. Romans 6.4, it's there in your bulletin. He says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. You knew me when I was 18. There is nothing I needed more than newness of life. There are many of us who are here today who need to know that there is the possibility of a new life. There's the possibility of real change. There's the possibility of your life to turn a corner and begin to mean something. Because Jesus lives through faith in Him, we begin to share in His life. Through faith in Christ, His new life begins to break into ours. The presence and the power of the Holy Spirit begin the, the life that He was raised to. It says, we were seated with Him when He was raised. And there is a connection between what Jesus has done and the life that we live now. Now that, the fullness of what He has done, we don't get it right now. And that day is coming. And He says, that day is coming. We'll, we'll read that, but... But it does begin to change what he calls the first fruits of it. It's like spring in the life of God's people. When he lift us out of the pit of despair, give us a rock to stand on and a new heart to love God. The resurrection not only gives us the power of a new life, but it ensures that our faith is indeed not in vain. And in verse 17, that's what he, he punches at. And he says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. Your faith is in vain. You are still in your sins. But in verse 3, Paul says, in the facts of the gospel, he says, this I'm delivering to you of first importance. It is true. It is worthy of full acceptance that what I receive from, in the gospel is this. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. That means that when he says he died for our sins, that he paid the penalty for them. And through faith in Christ, there is forgiveness. 
By the time I was 18, I desperately knew already there was a lot that I needed to be forgiven for. There are many of us who would struggle and say, you know, could God, God couldn't forgive me. You don't, you don't know what I've done. You don't, you don't know what my life is like. You don't know how deep down I have sunk. You don't know where, where I am. And they wrestle with the idea that there is a God because they're not sure that God would love them or accept them or receive them. But the scripture makes it very clear. Faith is not futile. If you put your faith in Christ that what he did on the cross, he will have done it for you. That when he died for sin, that if you put your faith in Christ, he died for your sins. And he says forgiveness and mercy are ours in Christ. They're washed away, that we are made clean, that what he did, he did for us. And it gives us an absolute hope and confidence. Two more scriptures as we close. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means as we stand looking at that last day, you can stand looking for, with confidence. Right? There is therefore no condemnation. That on that day we can look forward to it and then this is the great hope of life. Is this there is an eternal life. There is a life with Christ. In 2 Timothy 4.8, there in your bulletin it says, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. To all who know and love the risen Christ. He says there is no fear. He says there is nothing but anticipation for a life that will really begin. My friends, I hope for you today is a day of rebellion. A day of rebellion against hopelessness. A day of rebellion against atheism. A day of rebellion against meaninglessness. A defiant cry. Death, where is your sting? Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is risen indeed. He has in fact risen. And this resurrection floods the world. I hope you can see how it floods Everything that you touch with meaning and purpose and direction and hope and life. It makes sense of life. It saves us. Maybe you're here this morning and your life has lacked meaning and purpose. Maybe this is a good morning to stop living for yourselves. And to start living for him who died. And rose again. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come this morning and we confess that you alone have the words of life. As we consider a world without you, we don't want it. As we consider a death without you, we don't want it. Father, we lift our eyes to you knowing that you have indeed the words of life that you have raised the Lord Jesus from the dead and you have seated him at your own right hand in heaven and we serve a living Christ and it's in him alone that we too can enter into the hope of such a life. Would you draw near this morning and give us eyes to see and hearts that embrace what Jesus has done for us that our lives might be flooded with his and would send us into a redeeming, purposeful, powerful life of knowing, loving, and serving you. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name.